You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Blasting off on a desperate mission to save Earth from the evil plottings of the tyrannical space lord Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Dr. Hans Zarkov and Dale Arden have joined me, Flash Gordon, on a fantastic journey into worlds where peril and adventure await us. Hi everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Trance. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to talk about Flash Gordon action figures. Wow, this is something that we haven't really touched upon ever, more or less. We have talked about the movie and, and we kind of probably touched a little bit on the merchandising aspects of the movie, but we probably mainly focused on specific movie-related collectibles. What we're going to talk about today is a line of action figures that came out to accompany the animated show that came out before the movie came out, only about a year or so before the movie came out. And we'll give you a little bit of the background history of the actual animated show and how that went about. Then we will have Star Wars news. We've had a slew of Star Wars headlines in the last week or so, from uh, new movies to a TV show to updates to the Star Tours ride at the Disney parks. So we're going to kind of take a look at all of those different headlines. There's so many implications that, you know, are great for Star Wars fans in terms of, like I said, the new movie news is very exciting. And we've talked about the possibility of a TV show in the past. I know the news was out there for a while before the Disney purchase of Lucasfilm. And we had already gotten a little bit of a heads up that they were going to update Star Tours once again. Obviously, Last Jedi is coming out, so they're going to you know do a little something about that. And then we're going to hit another collectible subject that we haven't talked about in the past, and that is glasses, collecting movie-themed glasses. And what I'm talking about here is those oldish kind of Burger King, McDonald's, you know, those specialty glasses you would get sometimes with a certain meal that you would buy. You pay a couple of extra bucks here or there, or pennies back then, and they would give you a commemorative glass. Not only Star Wars, but we found so many other franchises out there that kind of dabbled in that. And that is something that nowadays you just don't really see too much of that whole, you know, get a meal, get a glass, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, happy meal kind of uh arrangement it seems to be something of a specific era but we're going to kind of try to focus on the older ones the the you know the late 70s early 80s type of stuff that i had started collecting a while back and you know we're going to profile some of that so let's get started with flash gordon you can collect them all you Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the $6 million man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. today's collectibles segment we are going to focus on an old action figure line from the let's say late 70s early 80s flash gordon now if you do a search for flash gordon you're going to find 
that there have been many different waves of different, you know, lines that came out throughout history, let's say. But specifically, this is kind of where it kind of all started, you know, the modern line of action figures. There are more recent ones that have to do more with the film Flash Gordon, the, the film that I, you know, as you guys know, I absolutely love. But this is a specific one having to do with the animated series back from 1979. Those of you who remember the series, it was kind of short-lived. It only lasted about two seasons. It aired on NBC. And it had a very unusual kind of history behind it. From what I understand, originally, NBC wanted a kind of like a TV movie to put out. You know, an animated TV movie. And they did. They commissioned it. They made it. The company was called Filmation. You're, very, you're probably very familiar with it. You just don't know it. But this movie apparently was ready to be aired, but NBC said, oh, now, hold on a second. We want to do something different now. Instead of having the movie out, let's turn this into a series. Now, you got to remember, it's 1979. We're in the post-Star Wars world where everything changes. And ironically, as Flash Gordon was part of the inspiration for Star Wars, and originally, if you guys read up on your Lucas history, Lucas wanted to do Flash Gordon, but couldn't get the rights. So instead, he said, all right, screw it. I'm going to come up with my own, you know, sci-fi fantasy world. That's where Star Wars came from. But originally, he wanted to do Flash Gordon. So now, the you know, the situation has reversed itself. It's Star Wars that's kind of leading the uh, the charge of, of, of sci-fi and, uh, you know, merchandising and uh, television. Even television, believe it or not. Even though it wasn't that heavily involved in it, television wanted their own Star Wars version of Star Wars. And that's where you have your Battlestar Galacticas... That's where you have, you know, all of these like Buck Rogers, all of these shows, all of these properties, everybody all of a sudden is digging them up from their, you know, the bottom drawer and putting them into production in either television or film form. So the order goes for let's do a television series instead, an animated television series. And even though they already had a fully finished TV movie, they kind of put the brakes on that a little bit and said, all right, hold on, let's just go straight into a television show. And the television show... Like I said, it was not very successful, but it lasted two seasons, and that's, you know, 20-some episodes. You know, that's not bad for, for, for a kid show. And I remember I used to watch it every now and then. The problem with the show, which is also a problem with a lot of shows, even these days, is that all of the episodes were kind of serialized, at least at first. So if you missed an episode, this is before VCRs, keep it in mind. So you miss a show, you miss a show, you're screwed. It was telling you a story. During the second season, from what I understand, it became a little less serialized, so you could jump in any time. And then they introduce new characters and so forth and so forth. But what's unusual about the show is that when you start watching it, and it's funny because recently, if you go to Amazon, I was able to go onto Amazon Video and uh, I was able to play, you know, a couple of the first episodes. And the weird thing about the show is that it starts off already with Flash arriving at Mongol. So you're kind of like, wait a minute, where's the precursor to landing to Mongol? Well, the reason was, from what I understand, is that this TV movie that they made takes place during World War II. So there's a lot of World War II-related information having to do with Earth that he then goes to, you know, on a rocket ship off to space. But that's where the cartoon starts. They don't mention anything, mostly anything, about Earth. And they kind of worked it so that, you know, as soon as you start the show, you're already in route to Mongo. And it's like, oh, well, this is Flash, uh, and this is uh, Dale, and this is Dr. What's-His-Nose. You know, you kind of, you almost feel like you missed an episode, which is kind of bizarre. But hey, that's the way they did it. So you basically land on Mongo, and you start your adventures. You start to meet all these different races and all these different characters. Now... Again, this is a weird time when they put this together because you got to remember also that only one year later, you're going to have the movie come out. And the movie, you know, you know how much I love the movie, kind of, I don't want to say it negates some of this, but yeah, the movie goes in a slightly different direction. Flash is a modern day character, a football player, you know, modern day for 1980, that is, as opposed to this television show where he's not. But... In the show, they kind of edit it so you never really know the reference of World War II. You know what I mean? So they kind of try to erase that World War II aspect you know, from the show. Now, from what I understand, later on, apparently they did air the movie in some shape or form. I don't think it's very easy to find in the home video market. I'll have to do some searches on uh, YouTube, see if it's floating around somewhere. But it would be interesting to see, you know, what did World War II uh, look like? And it's funny because when you think about it, the way that Flash is dressed... 
I don't want to say it's a it's a very 1940s look, but he is kind of oddly dressed. But it is also reminiscent of the classic Flash Gordon character. So who knows? Anyway, the figures. Well, the figures, like I mentioned before, just like the show, I'm pretty sure that we're inspired by Star Wars. Even though it's Mattel this time around, you're dealing with your your five-point of articulation type of uh, figure. Some of them are four points because the head is solid. The first wave of figures include your big characters and your kid-friendly characters, if you will. You have Flash, you have Ming, you have the Lizard Woman, and you have Thun. Thun is the, the this lion-looking guy. He's got the body of a muscular man, but he's got the head of a lion. Okay, whatever. The lizard women, uh, I remember they were in an episode, there's this whole area of lizard women, and what's funny is that, you know, these two figures you're dealing with four points of articulation because, you, you know, the head is something that I guess they didn't want to mess with, especially with the lion, because it's such a big head. The lizard woman, I don't know why they didn't do that, because, uh, you know, you, it, it is a very thin, human-like neck, and they could have done articulation, but you do have the scales in the back, so I guess maybe they were trying to avoid having to unalign the scales. What's cool about the Lizard Woman is that it has a lizard tail. And if you remember a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about Clash of the Titans, who was also done by Mattel a few years later, they used the same technology, if you will, for the tail. It's a rubber tail attached to the back, you know, the butt area of the action figure. Now, lucky for me, the Lizard Woman that I have still has her tail. These figures I did not own originally. I never picked them up originally. Only recently have I been able to find them on eBay at a pretty decent price. I mean, these are not mint. These are played <laughs> played figures, and, and they look it. They're not as rough in as rough shape as I've seen some other ones. The fact that the lizard woman has a tail, that's like half the battle right there because it's kind of difficult to find them. And this was basically wave one. Wave two, then they introduced something called the Beast Man and Dr. Zarkov. Dr. Zarkov is dressed just like in the show. You know, you have his, uh, his blue turtleneck. <laughs> and the uh, Beast Man, again, I don't remember him too well. I guess, he, I imagine he must be a bad guy because he looks really uh, ferocious. I could be wrong. I got to watch a couple more episodes. And then there was a third wave of Volton. You know, the guy with the wings. <laughs> He's a really cool-looking character. Again, similar situation. I believe they have the, uh, the the wings that are attached to the back of the character. And you have Captain Arak, which is, I guess, the bad guy, Ming's number one captain, lead captain. And that's where they kind of pulled the plug on the series right there, on the show and on the figures. As I mentioned many times before, you know, when a TV show goes south, so does the merchandising. And this is exactly what happened in this case. Now... These figures also came with accessories. Some of them have space guns. Some of them have staffs, you know. But unfortunately, the ones I bought did not have that. I bought them in the secondary market. Like I said, they weren't that expensive. The ones I bought, maybe they were four or five bucks a pop. If you want them in better shape, if you want them carded, obviously, they're going to cost you a bundle more. But as usual, I'm always looking for the cheapy ones. I like to have a representation of what I'm going after. Filmation, which is a name that, again, you might be familiar with because this is an animation film company, if you will, that was around from the mid-60s to the late 80s. And they did a lot of Superman and Batman-related stuff. They did some Archie stuff. They did Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids. They did Star Trek the Animated Series. If you guys remember that, that's one we're going to have to talk about one day. Jazam, The New Adventures of Gilligan, The Ghostbusters, a live-action show that has nothing to do with the Ghostbusters you're probably thinking about. You know, they did jump into the, the live-action series uh, thing. If you're into sci-fi, Space Academy, which later gave a rise to Jason of Star Command, if you remember another blast from the past in the live-action world. But in the 80s, I'm more familiar with something like He-Man. And the Masters of the Universe. Again, remember, this was a property, <laughs> a Mattel property that got a cartoon that inspired a movie that was junk uh, that m sooner or later it's going to get rebooted. <laughs> and they also did a Ghostbusters animated show. You know, it's amazing how these things work. Well, uh, like I said, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, that was their big, big, I mean, that thing lasted quite a bit. 
And, you know, it's probably one of their biggest names. They also had something called Black Star, I remember, was very popular, too. That that one's... A, now, all these te- television shows, they really don't last that much because they're cartoons. And I guess people just, especially kids, they completely lose interest on some of this stuff. I guess in the past, it might have lasted a little longer. But, you know, by the time you got to the 70s and the 80s, it just kind of, you know, comes in and goes out the same way. But... With the action figures, they also did plan on putting out, and they might have put out some of these. They had like a hand, a blaster, I guess, for the, the same type that the animated show goes for kids to be able to use. They had spaceships. The, the, they had Flash's uh, ship. But what's bizarre about it is that from the advertisements that I see here for the ship, it's inflatable. It's an inflatable ship, which is bizarre. If you think about it, especially for kids, anything that's inflatable, it's going to get destroyed very fast. I'm going to try to see if I can find the rest of these figures because there's not a lot of them. So it's not really that bad. And they also had a couple of, I believe, plasticky kind of ships. The style, you know, that they chose at the time was very classical in terms of, you know, if you think of the old serials and the old original Flash Gordon, you know, the old timey sci-fi look. You know, the big bubbly ships, you know, that kind of stuff, that kind of Art Deco look to them. That's kind of what they try to continue with the show. But the show, you know, they, because of the Star Wars influence, they did try to use a very modern, you know, sound effects and laser beams and that sort of thing. The other thing is that if you've seen Filmation before, the, their particular style, you know, it's one of these companies that... And this happens a lot with the old animated shows is that they reuse uh, so many of the same shots to not have to redraw things so many times. They just change the background. So you might have Flash looking in one direction, surprised, or, or running in one direction. And then you kind of notice that they kind of reuse that same shot again, except that the background has changed. So you see a lot of that in animation. You, know, you try to minimize movement as much as possible because movement equals time equals money you know, for hand-drawn classic style animation. The other thing that makes filmation cartoons uh, noticeable also is their use of rotoscoping. There's a lot of scenes where you see a character running, for example, or doing something physical, and it looks a lot like a real person making those moves. And that's because they were, you know, they were rotoscoping the action, you know, I believe, you know, the old style by having somebody do it for real. And then you kind of trace that person's movements. And now you have the foundation of what you want the action, the flow to look like. And you notice that, especially in the running. When you see characters run sometimes, not the, the long distance running, but the very, sh- come, you know, running towards the camera kind of running. You're like, wait a minute, that looks really weird. How the, the muscles are flexing in the arms and the, and the legs and that sort of thing. That is a, a typical filmation style kind of thing. Now, obviously, the longer the show lasts, the more that they end up reusing a lot of these, um, you know, these tropes and, and having to re, you know, recycle a lot, of their, a lot of their animation itself. Like I mentioned, on the second season, they did introduce a couple of new characters, but obviously they never got that far, you know, to be able to make, I believe, some of those newer characters. Now, this is 1979-1980 we're talking about. There are so many more incarnations of Flash Gordon that came afterwards. The biggest and most popular one that I remember and that I'm, like I said, I'm still a huge fan for is the film, you know, the, you know, the Laurentis film, Sam Jones. And those, it's funny because they really didn't merchandise those figures. They never really made them around the time that the movie came out. They were recently made, you know, within the last 10, 15 years. They actually went around and started making those figures in different incarnations. The latest one is one that I have here with me, which is kind of like a reaction type. I think it's by a company called Biff Bang Pow, which made a traditional three and three quarter style figure, you know, five points of articulation. But they've already also made a a larger size ones. It might have been by that same company, uh, much more detail or by a similar company, a much, much more detailed, beautiful looking figures, you know, the six inch type and possibly even bigger. But 1980 wasn't the end of Flash Gordon. There were at least one more incarnation for television, I believe in the 90s. The character of Flash Gordon was also thrown around a little bit on other animated, like, multi-superhero team-ups in the mid-80s. Again, in animation. And the Sci-Fi Channel, I remember a while back, tried to reboot the series. And I remember I started watching it, and I absolutely hated it because it was 
so not Flash Gordon. (laughs) You know, when we have, to me, again, because I'm, you know, a child of the 70s and 80s, uh, to me, Flash Gordon is Sam Jones. It's not the the 30s or the 40s version. It's not any of these animated ones. It is the De Laurentiis version of Flash Gordon. But just like uh, something like Buck Rogers, for example, you know that sooner or later, they're going to reboot this thing again in some shape or form. For now, they seem to be kind of sticking to the the Laurentiis version in terms of, as far as merchandising goes, that's what they seem to be going back to these days the most. These older offshoots, whether it's an animated, you know, 79, 80, 95, 85, you know, anything like that, they kind of stay away from. But what's cool about this line is that it's the same trick that I use for most of my other collections that I go after, you know, as a retro type of search. They're small. Uh, some of them are very expensive, so you kind of kind of cross them off your list that you're not going to get, and you just focus on the cheapy, you know, loose ones. This, uh, as I mentioned, is the Mattel style. It's not Mego. It's not the rubber band style. So you are dealing with the articulation that is physical articulation. You want to strengthen them. You know, you can always color. You know, if you have any paint chips or anything like that, you could always kind of touch them up. Some people do that and make them look a lot nicer. You could wash them. A lot of them, you know, you can wash a lot of these figures. You can get some of the dirt off of them. But if you have loose joints, you know, that's the type of thing where you can apply, like I mentioned before, either plumber's tape or some uh, floor wax uh, liquid to kind of strengthen those joints. You know, there's a lot of different ways on the internet you can look uh, to see how to, uh, you know, improve the quality of these things. Uh, so for now, I'm very happy with the, the ones that I have. I'm going to, like I said, I am going to look for some of the other ones. And we will see what other incarnations of Flash Gordon will have in the future. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on-the-spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. All right, today for our news segment, we're going to talk about, what else? Star Wars. I mean, that's what 90% of my life involves is Star Wars. Recently, we've had an announcement from Disney Lucasfilm that Ryan Johnson has been selected to head and to begin a new trilogy. What does that mean? Well, let's go, we first have to go back a little bit. Apparently, in the near future, we are going to have another trilogy, another Star Wars trilogy, and Ryan Johnson will direct the first one of these films and kind of helm or supervise, you know, the rest of them, the, the other two. Now, Ryan Johnson is a name you should be familiar with because he is currently the director of The Last Jedi that's about to come out in about another month or so. Now, is this uh, really, uh, you know, crazy breaking news? Yes, well, it is breaking news because it's official now and they all, and they actually have a name, you know, the name of a director that's going to be helming that project. But it's not really that surprising because I remember a while back, at some point they were talking about, I don't know if he was either Bob Iger or Kathleen Kennedy, they were talking about, you know, the success of the film so far and how, you know, happy they are with what they've been getting and how they were saying something was said to the effect of, well, if people keep, wanting to see these films, we're going to just keep making them. So it was kind of like, yeah, okay, we understand that this is where they're coming from. So it's not really that shocking of a news, but it is interesting that they are picking a kind of like a a director, similar to how they picked J.J. Abrams originally, you know, to help them kind of lead the way, to kind of shepherd through all these projects. He is apparently the person that's been selected to helm this new trilogy. Now, what is the connection between the new trilogy and the current trilogies? Well, according to the brief description we have is that this is a new unexplored area as far as Star Wars goes that we haven't seen before. He will direct the first, I do not know if any recurring characters are going to carry over from one to the other. I remember the original intent, I think, of the Star Wars continuation, you know, these new trilogies was to serve off as a, uh, like a springboarding kind of point for the old actors to hand off to new actors, you know, kind of like to pass the torch. But you figure you don't just pass the torch and end it as soon as the torch is passed. I figured that the point was to have this trilogy to pass the torch so that they could continue, you know, 
moving forward <laughs> with other films and so forth and so forth. And it kind of makes sense because, you you know, at the time, you know, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher, who was still with us back then, you know, everybody understood that these actors were getting kind of old and they weren't going to be around for much longer. And recently we lost Carrie Fisher. Uh, so they wanted to be able to do that, to have that handoff transition period so that you then have these new characters that can move forward with the, you know, with the franchise, if you will. So... I would be surprised if they really, really stop using any of the new actors, you know, assuming that they survive, obviously, the story <laughs> that's been written already. I would be really surprised because I think they're supposed, you know, I, I'm pretty sure they want to kind of keep these guys going in some shape or form. Maybe you won't see all of them running around, you know, through the first trilogy. Maybe only one will kind of go and then they all of a sudden they announce another trilogy and another guy shows up, you know, so forth and so forth. So that, that would not surprise me one bit. Now, you have to look at the whole big picture here. Yeah, and I'm not talking about the original trilogy. I'm not talking about the prequel trilogy, but I'm talking about the Disney side of the plan. The plan has been very successful financially and and as far as the content goes you know i really enjoy these new films they put out so far you know we've only seen two and i really like him but you got to remember that it's been a pretty tumultuous road to get to where they're going they seem to be having a tougher time behind the scenes than let's say for example what's going on with marvel unless they're very good at keeping marvel's issues quiet but here you got to remember the original plan was Force Awakens, you know, J.J. Abrams gets brought in. He's going to kind of shepherd in this new trilogy. He directs the first film, wonderful, a pretty big hit. Everybody's happy. Second film, Ryan Johnson, slated to direct. So far, so good. He's been doing a good job, and they really must like him because they're about to give him the keys to the kingdom <laughs> pretty soon. Then for Chapter 9, Colin Trevor was supposed to direct. He was coming off the heels of Jurassic World. Overnight success as far as the director goes, you know, he only, he didn't really have much behind them, but Jurassic World was a huge hit. People loved it. He was the flavor of the month. So he was slated to do that. But recently he put out a, another movie and it didn't do so well. And people were starting to wonder, was he really the right guy or was this going to have a, some kind of an effect on his Star Wars assignment? And whether it did or not, not sure. But the bottom line is that he's out. So at a, scrambling session they slated jj abrams to come back and to basically complete this first trilogy by directing you know the third film which is really episode nine then while this is going on you also had the standalone stories the originally called anthology star wars anthology and then they changed it to the star wars story the first one was rogue one which gareth edwards directed very successfully as far as I'm concerned. The movie came out great, but behind the scenes there was some shenanigans going on where they kept kind of changing around the story and reshuffling things around. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of things that we don't know about the making of, and we've talk talked about this in the past, that, you know, Disney, even Lucasfilm, I guess for that matter, they like to kind of keep it quiet. You know, it's different when they put out those Rinsler books a couple of years ago because, uh, you know, 20, 30 years had passed. <laughs> so I guess feel Feelings were not as hurt as they are when you talk about something that happened maybe two, three years ago. But at this point, I don't know if we are ever going to get a clear, clear image of exactly what went down and how things changed. You know, down the line, we might. But the movie was successful. Like I said, it was very good. The second film, which is the Han Solo story, was uh, slated to be directed by Bill Lord and Chris Miller, you know, the guys from um, 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie. Again, this is a different pedigree of directors. And apparently they started shooting and they were, I don't know, 75% done or so. They were way over halfway done when they pulled the plug on them because they did not like what was coming back in terms of the tone of the film they were getting. So at the last second, Ron Howard was pulled in to continue with that film. And he's been doing it. He apparently reshot a majority of the film. And that is going to be coming out next year. Finally, the third standalone film, I believe, was supposed to be Josh Trank, the director of Chronicles, and at the time, he had just finished doing Fantastic Four for Fox. The reviews were pretty bad about Fantastic Four, and the behind-the-scenes antics of the director apparently were kind of controversial, so they pulled the plug on him. 
as of now, we still don't know who is going to be directing that final film, which we don't even know what the final film is. Whether they decided or not, we don't know. They haven't told us yet. So that was like what you would consider to be the phase one, you know, of the new Star Wars world, similar to how Marvel kind of broke things up into phases, different phases. What now is happening is that we are getting, you know, the first peek at what comes next, you know, the the, the post-phase one world of Star Wars. So we'll see. It's very different. I don't know if it's the nature of the film. I don't know if it's just a matter of keeping things quiet, very, you know, better security, better privacy. I don't know. Is this how things usually work? You know, I don't know. It's hard to tell unless you're an insider. You know, I always say, you know, and, and I talked about this so many times, even on our last episode, the behind the scenes antics of how things get done are heartbreaking at times, and sometimes you just don't want to know. It's like the saying, you know, you do not want to know how the sausage is made because some really weird, upsetting things happened, you know, in the process of making something like this. We look at the end product and adore it, love it, but then when you start to dig around to see how things ended up that way, you find some really messed up stuff sometimes that really kind of like, oh man, you know, it was so much better when you kind of didn't know this information. So, for Star Wars fans, this is great news. I mean, more Star Wars, the better. And we'll see. Little by little, we're going to start hearing announcements. And I know that we still have to see almost the second half of what's happening now. Most of, you know, a lot of it has been shot. A lot of it is about to come out. And some of it hasn't even been announced yet. So, we're at the verge of that. Now, another story (laughs) that's... Uh, circulating about Star Wars that came out just about the same time as this story is there is going to be a live action show. Now, we've been hearing about the live action show for a very long time. Before Lucas sold to Disney, I remember that the plans were already gelling for a Star Wars live action series. Not sure where originally they wanted to air it. I know that Lucas was talking about it being a little more adultish, so maybe in a cable, like an HBO type of thing. Not necessarily a kiddie thing. He had already apparently hired people to write the majority of it. Like, I don't, I forget how many episodes, but he had a ton of episodes. I don't know if it was like 60 or 80 episodes or some ridiculous number of episodes, but they had only gotten to the writing stage. So that's where it kind of stopped right there. There was some artwork already done, some um, concept artwork, I believe, that kind of also, I think, I think it kind of turned into a video game that was going to be happening called. 1313, something like that, having to do with the lower levels of Coruscant, which I don't really know if that ended up happening. I know there was some kind of cross between what that world was happening with and what, what that, and that video game was happening. And I don't know if they were sharing resources or something like that. But the bottom line is that everything got shelved the second Lucasfilm was sold. So for a number of years now, they've been kind of keeping quiet about it. They haven't said no to anything. They haven't said yes to anything. So it's now getting to be that time where they're going to apparently going to be going in the direction of a television show. This isn't the first time we've had many different television shows having to do with Star Wars, most of them animated. We're still theoretically waiting to see what's going to happen next. Rebels is about to end and no announcement yet of what comes next as far as the animated world of Star Wars goes. It's possible that because of this potential new live action show, then maybe they'll slow down a little bit with animation and try to focus on live action. We'll see. Too early to tell at this point, but you know, any Star Wars is better than no Star Wars as far as I'm concerned. And we also don't know for sure whether or not these old scripts that have been already written are going to be used or if they're going to go in a completely new direction. That's another possibility too. You never know, you know, with Disney where they'll go. Lucas apparently wrote a whole bunch of treatments for these sequels that we're watching now. And the overall image I get is that they kind of looked at them and said, you know, thanks, George, but we're going to do something a little different. When will we ever see those original Lucas treatments? Who knows? I wish we could just to see what things would be like. So, you know, we'll see what happens. And at some point, I guess we'll find out whether the television show is going to go in the direction it was supposed to originally go or they're heading in a completely new, you know, uncharted lands. Now, the thing to keep in mind here is that similar to what happened with Star Trek Discovery, Disney now is going to be premiering this television show on their own streaming service that they're about to start. 
Uh, now, I recently read an article that they're saying that they're not going to pull the existing Netflix shows that are Marvel-related, because they're owned by Disney, and, you know, be brought on to their new service, their new streaming service. However, any new shows they might come up with are going to go there. You know, that opens up a whole other can of possibilities that I was theorizing a long time ago is that, you know, even before the sale uh, to Disney, you know, we, we were talking about how there is enough Star Wars material out there that you could have a Star Wars channel of only Star Wars related material. From obviously the movies that could be playing in an endless cycle, but the TV shows, meaning all the animated features they've had in the past, you know, from Ewoks to droids to the more modern Clone Wars kind of stuff. They could even, you know, if you're doing Lucasfilm in general, it could be a Lucasfilm channel. You could have Raiders, you could have Young Indiana Jones. You know, you can go in so many different directions. Just about anything that is somewhat owned by Lucasfilm. But obviously now we got Disney in the picture. So Disney will probably populate it with Disney-branded material. And yes, Star Wars is a huge thing to, to be able to drop on that channel. And so is Marvel. I'm sure that it's a similar situation to how Universal has the rights to certain Marvel characters in their theme parks because of contracts you know they signed a deal and they have to honor that deal same thing with television you know streaming services uh, whatever deal they have with netflix they have to go through that whole process of fulfilling their obligations and new stuff will go you know to their specific channel but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if at a certain point once the deal has expired whatever deal it is that that netflix has that they will, at, at that point, revert the rights back to Marvel, you know, for the be, being able to show them on a streaming service and, you know, start showing them in their own channel. You know, we know that the, the, the streaming service is not the end-all, be-all of that particular show because we know that they do have these shows on DVD and Blu-ray afterwards, you know, after the season is over, like they normally do with a film, I guess, or, or regular shows, of, you know, television series, normal yearly run. But yeah, eventually, I, I would not be surprised if they end up consolidating all of their properties under that channel. I don't know what the pay structure is going to be. I know that CBS uh, All Access is is re relatively cheaper than um, than Netflix to the extent where they they have a commercial and a non commercial pay tier. I believe the cheapest tier for CBS Access is something like five ninety nine, and for five ninety nine, you get to watch their shows with commercial breaks. And then if you pay a little more, you can watch their shows without commercial breaks. So yeah, it's interesting how they do that. I wonder if Disney would do a similar thing. The third and final bit of news having to do with Star Wars comes from theme parks, Star Tours especially. We kind of knew that there was going to be some kind of a addition to Star Tours, you know, to coincide with The Last Jedi. Uh, what they originally had done, if I remember right, is that you had the original ride, which threw you around original trilogy and prequel trilogy. Original trilogy, prequel trilogy, you know, you mix and match, mix and match, mix and match. And then when Force Awakens came out, you headed in two directions. One direction was always Force Awakens. The other direction was always original trilogy, prequel trilogy, and more specifically, a specific set of those. Because I remember... Planets like Hoth, I never got to see them while they were doing that dual mode. You know, that dual, you, you get either one set on one side or one set on the other side, that kind of thing. And by one side or the other side, I'm talking about the order in which you see things. The ride basically, if you guys are familiar with it, you go through one adventure and then you go through another adventure. But it's one set or another set so that you kind of after being on the right so many times you kind of know the pattern of okay if i get this first then i might get that second you know that kind of thing well when force awakens came out whatever was the second set of potential places that you would go they were all kind of put on hold and it was always jakku force awakens so you got 
you know, mix and match over here on the on, on the first part, and then Jakku. No matter what you get, you get Jakku. And that lasted for a while. And, you know, at first it's great because it's a new movie. You want to see all these new places. But after a while, I'm like, damn it, I miss those other locations. I, especially, in my case, being able to go to Hoth, which is my favorite one of all of them, you know, that was always in the Jakku slot. So we were always having to, you know... When is this going to end? When is it going to And finally it ended to the point where they just put Jakku as any other location on this, you know, on, on the secondary site, let's say. So for a while now, uh, for over a year, you know, because, you know, when Rogue One came out, they didn't do anything with Rogue One. So for a while now, we've had now the nice little separation of prequel trilogy, original trilogy, and new trilogy with only one film to represent, all mishmash together and then a nice big mishmash of all the different locations. So I could get some Hoth, I could get some Kashyyyk, you know, some of the places that you weren't used to seeing so much because Jakku automatically took over for them. Well, now what's going to happen is they're going to do something different that I don't know how I feel about it. I think I don't like it. <laughs> what they're going to do is, if I read this right, they're going to go in two directions. You're going to get on the ride and you're going to see Jakku and you're going to see a new location for the Last Jedi. The specific location is going to be Kanto Bait, or Bait, I don't know how you pronounce it. It's supposed to be this, uh, from what I understand, like a, like a casino world, uh, a luxury casino world or something like that, that's going to be featured in this film. So we're going to see something to do with that. And that's going to be on for a while now. We're going to only be going to these two locations. It will be exclusively new trilogy. Now, I don't know if that means that there's going to be only one location and only one possible thing, and you're basically stuck with two places for a while now. That could be it. It could be that you're going to be forced to watch Jakku, and you're going to be forced to watch this one sequence, unless they're creating multiple sequences for the new trilogy. That's another possibility, which I haven't gotten really a confirmation about. But what they are talking about is that in the future... Once the Last Jedi marketing, you know, promotion ends, just like they did before, they're going to bring back, you know, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. And they do talk about that fans will have the opportunity to select their destinations. So that's interesting, too. In other words, you could say somehow, I don't know how they'll do it. You want to go original or you want to go blah, 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 or you want to go blah, 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 or you want to go blah, 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 <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I don't know how they're going to do this. You got me. I have no idea. So you could, I mean, from, again, from what I remember, there's two lines, usually, there's two sides to the ride, and each side has maybe the same amount of possible cars that you get on. So maybe once you get to the front of the line, they will say to you, new trilogy or old trilogy? And you say, new trilogy. Okay, new trilogy, you go to the right. Old trilogy, you go to the left. You know, it could be something like that. That's the only possible scenario that I can think of. I don't know if that's going to slow things down. I'm not sure. It seems a little difficult. I don't mind uh, doing new trilogy stuff. I just wish there was more of it because, you know, it is nice to kind of mix it up. Again, I don't work there, so I don't know the randomness of the rides and how often things get shuffled around. But from the times that I've been going, and I go pretty pretty frequently, it always seems like it always used to seem as if certain worlds were kind of ignored more than others. I don't know if that's done on purpose or just the luck of the draw or just some kind of algorithm that if you have to promote Jakku, you automatically have to eliminate something else. You know, that kind of a thing, which I think that's more what it was. So, you know, I am interested. I Obviously, <laughs> any new world that they add to that ride, I want to see it and I'm all for it. I only wish they would have done something for Rogue One there was plenty of Rogue One-ish kind of settings that they could have done. The Battle of Scarif would have been great. You know, that beach battle, that was a potentially good place to create a, a, a theme ride segment. And that one could have started, you know, first in space, and then you fly through the opening, the, the shield opening, and then you go into the actual beachfront. So that could have been one. Again, I don't know what it takes to have these things happen. It would have been nice, but who knows? Maybe they're only sticking. Maybe these are so difficult to make that they can only handle about one a year. So maybe at this rate, the third movie comes out and that's, you know, that would be 2020, I think. And that's when we get to see another one. So now then you'll have, if they are sticking to this pattern of old trilogy, new trilogy, you'll have three places to pick from or three places that you could randomly end up at 
but you only get two, remember. And on the other side, you stick to the old trilogy. Now, what happens when this new trilogy that's been announced? Well, I guess that's how you start populating, you know, the new trilogy side of the ride. Every two years, you can add another world to the mix. So that's interesting. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little different. I don't know if they will decorate differently. That'd be also interesting. You know, we need a refurbishment of the inside of the, uh, the queue and all that kind of stuff. Plus, I'm sure you're going to get all kinds of crazy merchandising having to do with the ride being upgraded and all kinds of stuff. So for somebody who lives, you know, in this area here in, in near, near the Orlando area, this is great because I love it when they do more Star Wars stuff. And remember, we also have Star Wars land that's coming and that's going to be just, it's going to just blow this all right out of the water. It's just going to just, between that and Toy Story uh, land, this park is going to be, you know, Hollywood Studios, which I'm sure they're going to probably rename it at some point too. This is going to be the hottest park to come to. I know right now that Avatar at Animal Kingdom is the busiest place in terms of trying to get into those rides. I think that until Star Wars opens, Avatar will continue to be one of the craziest waits. I mean, last time I was there, we were almost there for, I think, almost almost three hours uh, waiting in line to get on that ride. I know that's insane. But once Star Wars opens up and even Toy Story, that is going to be like this huge magnet that's going to just suck the crowds out of everywhere else. And, and that's going to be crazy. <laughs> I don't know how the heck I'm going to be able to get on all these rides. But you know what? I love it. It's great. It's Star Wars. You know, the more the better. Are you a genre TV, film, sci-fi, horror, fantasy, toy, and convention nerd? Nerd! 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 Do you enjoy listening to podcasts? It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Do you ever wish you could co-host a podcast? Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I'm I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now. I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. This just might be your chance. Somebody help me! Help me! Shut up! Geekfest Rants is looking for new co-hosts. If you're interested, go to our homepage at geekfestrants.com and click on the hosting icon for more information. For our second collectible story today, I want to go over something that I didn't used to collect in the past, but more recently, uh, within the last five years or so, I've been uh, kind of looking around for, and that is collectible movie glasses. Now, the most famous ones, I think, are probably the Star Wars ones because, well, I'm a big Star Wars guy, as you guys probably know. But that is what I remember the most, uh, you know, growing up in the early 80s, especially in the early 80s for The Empire Strikes Back, when that movie was being promoted. The commercials that they would run of, I believe, it was Burger King, where they would show you a clip of the movie and an actual shot where the frame would stop, for example, Luke pointing his blaster at you, more or less, during um, Bespin. And that would kind of morph, even though there was no morphing effect back then, it would kind of change into the actual animated drawing of him doing that on the glass itself, on the glass that they would sell at Burger King. And back then, I honestly don't remember buying glasses when I was that young. I was 10 or 11 years old, so... I wasn't yet of age to go on, you know, fast food places to just buy myself something to eat. I was still pretty much attached to my parents, I think, at that age. So I wasn't really doing things on my own to the extent where I can go into a store and say, you know, pull out a <laughs> couple of dollar bills and say, give me this and I'll take one of those glasses. You know, I wasn't in tune to that yet. But I do remember the commercials. On top of the fact that I was, you know, insanely into Star Wars... Anytime you saw anything on television having to do with Star Wars, it was like a, you know, make a run for it and stare at it. Again, remember, this is before VCRs, before anything that you could digitally record in any shape or form or analog record. So, you know, when you watch TV, that was a, a one-way ticket that was coming. Uh, you know, there was no replays here. So... All of a sudden, you're watching TV and you see a clip of Star Wars or The Empire Strikes Back, and you're like, oh my God, what's this? So you would just kind of lose it for a few seconds, you know, and then they would get you at the end, oh, it's Burger King glass. Oh, that's nice. Whatever. Okay, great. So I didn't really pay that much attention when I was that young, other than for the actual clip. Later on, you know, I started to see these glasses showing up on conventions and in other places, and I said, you know what? 
it is possible when I started thinking about it, maybe I did have maybe one glass or something like that. I honestly don't remember. Maybe it was by the time the Return of the Jedi wave came out of glasses that I might have picked up one or one or two here or there. But they disappeared along the way. If I ever owned them originally, they are gone. They were destroyed because I would use them just like regular glasses, you know, and regular glasses eventually break. So fast forward, you know, 20 years later <laughs> or more. And, uh, you know, through eBay, you know, as I start to collect things, I start looking for these glasses. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, it would be great if I could get my hands on those old glasses that, you know, I, I think I might have had one here or there. And little by little, I started to recollect the glasses. I started to re, you know, uh, purchase them through eBay. And it was kind of, I'd like to say it was kind of easy. It took a little bit of time, but I was able to eventually get the entire collection. The Star Wars line, the Empire line, and the Jedi line. Now, I don't remember the Jedi line too much as far as the commercials go. I distinctly remember Empire. And I wasn't around here for Star Wars, for the original film. I kind of knew about them after the fact. The artwork on these glasses are uh, very distinctive. The original ones, they look a lot like the, I think it was the Coca-Cola posters they used to have. The artwork that they put together for those. Uh, so it is possible that they used a variation of that. I'm not entirely sure. But the Empire and Jedi ones are slightly different. They're more cartoonish, more comic bookish, if you will. The Star Wars ones, to me, they look a little more artsy. Just a little more artsy, even though there's, you're still dealing, you know, with, with a, with a, a painted, you know, drawn image. As I started to gather these glasses, some of the auctions that I would win, it would be for multiple sets or duplicates here or there. Like I only needed one of this and it was only available, you know, as a set with something else. So when it was all said and done, not only did I have a full line of glasses that I was not going to use, I was just going to display, but I ended up with some doubles. And over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, whatever, however long it's been, the doubles, the, the extras, I was, you know, I put them in the mix of glasses to be used. So for the last couple of years, there have, there still have been a few Star Wars glasses in my everyday glassware usage. <laughs> a few of them have broke as expected. And right, right now, I think I have one left that I, you know, use to reg you know for regular drinking purposes but i still have those original 12 glasses because there was four per film i have them up there in my kitchen displayed as part of my kitchen display i guess uh, my, my kitchen decorations now believe it or not just like action figures there are variations on some of these glasses and i kind of learned them the hard way as I was, you know, amassing my final collection and I started buying some of these ones that were missing, all of a sudden I started to examine some of these glasses, especially, again, the Empire Strikes Back line. And I began to notice that there was a difference in height of the actual glass itself. And not only the height, but the actual shape of the glass was slightly different. And even the artwork, you know, the thickness of the lines, the placement of the art... Stuff like that, I started to notice that it was in the wrong place. And I remember, I think I tried contacting one of the sellers because I thought he had some kind of bootleg or something, you know, that it wasn't, you know, an authentic, uh, you know, Burger King glass. But, uh, you know, later on, you know, on the internet, I was able to find an article that talks about how, you know, it's very hard to get, you know, accurate information on these glasses. But the difference in manufacturing, actually, could stem back to the issue of them being manufactured in two different countries because Canada also had them. So you are going to find, even though there's theoretically 12 glasses, there's going to be a height difference in glass height, in shape of the glass. There's going to be a difference in the uh, thickness of the lines uh, that are painted on. And, there's, and there might even be a difference in the coloring of some of these things. And even the wording, believe it or not, the wording was also different. I remember there was some, you know, in the back of the glass, you do have a little bit of uh, information that they write about the character you're looking at. And even the wording, you know, and the placement of the uh, information, you know. So for variance collectors out there, <laughs> even you can't get away from variance even in glasses. And recently, I think about maybe two years ago, you know, I started to look a little further into it. It's like, well, you know, what other companies make glasses? And I got for my wife, because I had no clue this existed. I'm assuming it's original. They look super new and super 
super original looking, but I did get a set of four Battlestar Galactica, original Battlestar Galactica series glasses. So those are another set that I have, you know, they're sitting there next to my Star Wars ones. They do look, you know, like I said, they do look really cool because they, they almost identically copy that same format, that cartoonish format. And that's something that, you know, I guess as a designer, you have to figure out which way to go. You can kind of like laminate a glass with with a print that is exactly a photo print because they've done that, you know, they do that currently. You can go buy some specialty glasses here or there. But it is kind of a little more special when you're buying them, you know, through a fast food chain, let's say, where you have to collect them a little bit at a time and not just get a full set. I did that a number of years ago when the uh, Abrams uh, Star Trek film came out. They put out a set of glasses, and I I remember getting those, and I think I've been through all of them already. I've broken all of those. They weren't – I was not using them as a collector set. I was using them as just everyday glasses. And I did buy, I remember many years ago, when the Lord of the Ring films were coming out, these super thick goblets that they made. I forget what um, McDonald's, Burger King, I don't know, one of these fast food places, Taco Bell. Could have been Taco Bell. I don't know. The sets of goblets, and like I said, they were super thick. They're super engraved and sculpted. They're like magnificent how they are. And in the bottom, they had this attachment, this rubber attachment that would give you more of a rubbery grip, let's say, on the on the counter or the table that you would place your goblet in. And it had a battery inside that you could turn them on and turn them red. So whatever liquid you poured in there, hopefully if it was a clear liquid, you could turn on the glass and it would everything would be color reddish. It was they're really fancy. Now throughout the years, obviously because of you know when you wash these glasses, you have to remove the the bottom rubbery part with the batteries because you can't get that stuff wet. So I've kind of put those away because, you know, the batteries, you have to rechange them every now and then. And right now I still have uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe three of them uh, that I use for everyday glasses. And and that's the best thing about them, that these things are so thick (laughs) that they last. They don't crack as easily as regular glasses do in these other, you know, these other collector glasses. None of them, like I said, I I held on to as a collectible because they were just so cool. The, the, these Lord of the Rings were so cool that, you know, I wanted to use them all the time and I still kind of do. The, the only problem with them is that they're not very, uh, how should we say, um, they don't hold as much water as something of that height would. You have to remember that it, because it's a goblet kind of thing, half the glass is the handle in the bottom part, the stem, let's call it. Think that's what it's called so the top of the glass itself you know does not hold that much water so it is not my favorite drinking glass <laughs> now you gotta also remember when star wars came out there were other ways that they were selling you glasses too what i'm talking about is actual glass there were a series of i think plastic cups that burger chef another burger company that i don't even think it exists anymore was also selling, you know, giving away or whatever, these plastic, you know, printed glasses with Star Wars drawing, you know, pictures on that sort of thing. And those, every now and then you run into them in a convention and on eBay, I'm sure you can still buy them here or there. They're obviously a little more worn because plastic really doesn't, uh, (laughs) that kind of plastic doesn't really hold up that well, you know, unless somebody bought them and, you know, stored them in a box for years and never touched them. But the glass ones are usually usually more sturdy than these plastic ones as far as how the uh, the art holds out. Now, granted, you throw these things on a washing machine, you might have problems. Now, it depends because the technology might have been different. Back then, these things might have been painted on the glass, and now they are kind of like, I don't know how, I don't know what the, the, the actual term is. I don't know if it's etched. It's not etched, but it's kind of like a, like a print. The print goes on it. You throw it in the dishwasher three or four times and these things will start to flake on you. Little by little, little chips, little paint chips start to form and they start falling apart, which is a shame because I've gotten, you know, even Force Awakens and, uh, you know, some of the previous Star Wars movies, sometimes I might get a, a quick little set, you know, and again, not through a fast food place, but you know, like a box set of glasses and in that, and they, they always say hand wash only. And, you know, we get lazy. We throw them in the dishwasher. Who cares? Uh, and they do eventually start to flake away to, you know, to nothing. But you don't really see these glass ones anymore where they are cartoonish, animation-ish uh, shaped images. 
I believe they might have put out a set, I think maybe for Revenge of the Sith, but it was part of a toy set. I think it was like an action figure and a glass would be included, but I think they were shorter glasses, something like that, but not in this format where you go to the store and you order yourself a, a, a meal and you're like, oh, I'm buying for an extra buck or whatever, you know, they'll throw in the cup of the week, let's say. And that was the big thing. You would go to the store and you would be like, uh, what's the cup this week? <laughs> You're trying to figure out what, you know, which is the, it's like the Happy Meal toy. What's the toy this week type of deal? Now, if you're into this type of thing, there is an entire world out there, just like anything else. There's an entire world of collecting. Believe it or not, and I don't think I've ever seen these before, there was an Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom line that came up. I think 7up might have been the company that uh, uh, were, were putting these out. And again, these were, like I said, these cartoonish animation style glasses, a set of four. Apparently they were going to make a set for Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they did, but they never put them out for some you know, last minute reason. Uh, they never put them into sale uh, by Coca-Cola. Again, if you go to because I, I have a few here, like indoor flea markets, uh, antique malls, that sort of thing. I run into a lot of these. Muppets. Uh, the Muppets put out a lot of glasses. Snoopy. Oh, my God. You see so much Snoopy stuff. McDonald's and Burger King. They put out their own character glasses, you know, in glass. A lot of superhero stuff you're going to find. Uh, there were apparently some King Kong Coca-Cola glasses. Burger Chef, again, uh, this is that company that I don't think it's around anymore. Pretty nice artwork from what I'm seeing here on the internet in terms of what they look like. Star Trek had many different incarnations, but I think Taco Bell for Star Trek 3 had a set of... Uh, they're glasses, but they're almost like a like a mug, like a giant uh, glass mug with the cartoony animation, a drawing of um, you know Star Trek three characters. Those are pretty cool looking too. Uh, I haven't run into too many of those uh, recently. The Goonies apparently also had a set of glasses. <laughs> From Godfather's Pizza. Oh my God, these store again. I don't even know if if these uh, retailers even exist anymore. The Smurfs. Oh my God, if you remember the Smurfs, they they had glasses also, and they were sold at Hardee's. Oh my God, you know what's funny? I just discovered Hardee's like two years ago. We have a Hardee's near here. I've never been to before. Pizza Hut had an E.T. glass set, and I have run into some of these uh, recently. And I, every now and then I look at them like. What the heck is this all about? That's not bad. They're not bad. They're pretty good. They're pretty good looking. Ghostbusters 2 had a set of glasses from Sunoco gas station. <laughs> Alvin of the Chipmunks, also from Hardee's, had a set. He-Man. Oh, my God. He-Man had a set. Not sure what company. And Garfield. Oh, yeah. I run into the Garfield ones all the time at the antique malls. Those are also McDonald ones. Oh, there's also apparently a Superman 2 set floating around. I don't remember what company they came from, but they did, you know, put out these type of glasses also. And like I said, with something like Garfield or Smurfs or even superhero stuff, the television side is huge also in terms of, you know, there's tons and tons of animated related uh, shows that, you know, they go the glass route in, you know, in different fashions. So... You know, depending on your collection, you know, what is your thing that you collect? If glasses is the type of thing that might interest you, there's plenty out there. And the best thing is that they're not that insanely expensive. You know, you can get some decent prices on eBay these days. But like I said, visit the antique malls and the flea markets. I know glass is something that, you you know, people don't like to transport too much, especially on flea markets and that sort of thing where you have to actually unload your stuff and put it down and take it back up. You know, a lot of that stuff can get damaged easily. But uh, what I'm finding, like I said, in my local area here is the, these um, these antique malls, these indoor flea market type of things where if you're not familiar with them, it's basically a, a big uh, warehousey kind of store uh, where people have all these sections, these little booths, let's say, designated space where they put up all their stuff and they just leave it there and they're not physically there. The person running the store is the one that, they, you know, you bring the item to the front and say, okay, this came from this particular section. This is how much it is. You do find a lot of that there because it's not the type of thing that has to be put away every day. So the damage remains to a minimum. 
and I do see a lot of that kind of stuff. Obviously, the most, you know, not a lot of Star Wars I see around here, but I do see a lot of these other ones I mentioned. Every now and then I run into an ET one. You know, if you're into more modern stuff, oh, there's tons. There's Shrek. There's, uh, you know, all kinds of sports-related stuff. Uh, you know, there's tons and tons of stuff. So if glasses is your thing, there's a whole world out there of collecting movie and television show glassware. <laughs> All right, well, I hope you guys had a good time today enjoying our show. We covered things like Flash Gordon and the action figure Mattel line that I recently started kind of collecting. And we dipped into the actual show because it's kind of like rediscovering an old show we used to watch. And it was it was a different time back then. Back then, you know, cartoon watching on the weekends, it was completely different. No DVRs. Some VCRs were starting to flap around there, but... You know, Saturday mornings were something that you look forward to as a kid because you would get up early, not too early, because if you got up too early, you would have to watch like David and Goliath or something. And it wasn't really cartoonish. It was, you know, pseudo-religious type of uh, uh, messages. You're like, no, no, no. I want like, you know, G.I. Joe and He-Man and all that other junk that we used to watch. So that's when, you know, those kind of cartoons were popular was when, when you would watch them, you know, Saturday mornings completely different era now there is no such thing i think as saturday mornings anymore for cartoons you want to watch a cartoon you got to go to uh you know disney xd or the cartoon network or something like that uh, nickelodeon <laughs> now the major networks there's no point they, they just uh, there's just no point in in having cartoons anymore unless it's a bizarre you know adult oriented thing you know like the simpsons or uh, uh family guy that kind of stuff which is more of like a prime time thing but this was a time where, you know, like I remember, like I said, I would get up early just to watch those cartoons. And they would usually end around uh, 11.30. By the time you got to noon, it was almost like the TV was telling you, all right, kid, get the hell out of here. Go outside and do something now. You watched enough TV. <laughs> but you also had a little bit when you got home from school. When you got home from school, you also had maybe about an hour or an hour and a half or two of cartoons. And again, you would see something like a G.I. Joe or a He-Man or stuff like that. I mean, but... There was a time where even the fall preview was a big deal. You know, you would buy the fall preview TV guide. I know we talked about this before. And it, they would have their own section about a Saturday morning cartoons that you could look forward to. What's coming up this year of cartoon land, you know? What kind of new shows are they going to throw at us on a Saturday morning? Now, it's all gone. That doesn't, that's an, it's irrelevant now, that, that sort of thing. And I hope you guys also enjoyed our Star Wars news. I know you know how crazy we're about Star Wars here. This kind of news just kind of fuels our <laughs> our collecting frenzy and our movie watching, TV watching uh, uh, expectations. Uh, so as more news comes, we'll continue to funnel it to, to you guys, you know, if it's something important. And we did one last, uh, you know, vintage retro kind of collectible segment with our glasses. The fact that that used to be a bigger deal back then, being able to get those movie glasses. And for me, the Star Wars ones are the ones I remember the most because, again, we were so into anything Star Wars, that whether it's a commercial, a clip, a movie review, anytime you saw a Star Wars related anything on television, it was like, drop everything and focus. <laughs> and obviously, you know, the merchandising aspect when it came to these tie-ins with restaurants, fast food places specifically, you know, it was all part of the fun. And, you know, as an adult now, it's it's really uh, cool to be able to own some of these pieces that back then, as I did myself, and, and, and I'm sure most people did, you cycle through these glasses and they break and you never see them again. But being able to, you know, complete your collection, you know, later on as an adult and save them as collectibles is a whole other world that I, I really love. So on behalf of everybody here, I'd like to thank you for listening to our episode and we will see you here next time at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Star Wars, the Empire strikes back. And Burger King comes through again with our all-new Empire Strikes Back glasses. Collect a different class for your family each week. Darth Vader, R2-D2 and C-3PO, Lando Calrissian, Luke Skywalker. Buy a regular-sized Coca-Cola at a special price and build your collection. All-new, the Empire Strikes Back glasses, only at Burger King. (laughs) 
if you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2017. <laughs>